evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my partner in crime, Shane Douglas Keene. And tonight we're excited to have Damian Angelica Walters on the show. And for those who aren't familiar with her, she's the author of books like Paper Tigers, Sing Me Your Scars, Cry Your Way Home, and at the time of this episode going live, her book, the Dead Girls Club will be out through Crooked Lane Books. So how are you doing tonight, Damien? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, thank you for being here, Damien. Thank you. Yeah, it's our pleasure. I know uh, Shane and I are both huge fans of your uh, writing, especially uh, we were. Ju- I was just telling him about uh, Paper Tigers, and I was like, that was one of the most unique books that I had read as far as the protagonist and, you know, kind of what she goes through. And then when I read the dead girls club, I read it a little bit before Shane and I really enjoyed that one too. And, um, when we kick off the show, we always just kind of like to ask our guests, you know, kind of to give like the new kids speech, you know, maybe for people who aren't familiar with you, you know, kind of, what inspired you to write and kind of like your influences, like what type of horror you like to write and writers that might've influenced your style. Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is like, put me on the spot. Um, (laughs) Influences. I would say probably Margaret Atwood, Joyce Carol Oates, Shirley Jackson. um, Of course, Stephen King. I I don't think you can write dark fiction without him having you know being an influence um i you know but then i would also say that you know not all of the influences have been horror uh alice hoffman i love her work um oh gosh i'm i'm sitting in my office right now and i'm like scanning my my bookcases thinking you know and i have a whole i have a whole nother set of bookcases in the library and and downstairs um and uh, yeah, I've just there's so many influences. I mean, everything that I've read and I read a lot. Um, I don't just read horror. I, I read, you know, literary fiction. I read, um, you know, science fiction. I read a lot of just mainstream fiction that doesn't really fall into into any genre. Um, I, I think that I'm influenced by everything, everything that I've read and um, all the authors that I mentioned, and then I know there are plenty that that I'm neglecting to mention who've had an influence. Uh, Lois Duncan, when I was, you know, I mean, my gosh, when I was when I was much younger, you know, Down a Dark Hall is the one that I remember the, the most fondly. But you know, there were there was a discussion the other day on Twitter. A bunch of Crooked Lane books uh, authors we were talking, and somebody mentioned Encyclopedia Brown, and I'm like, oh my god, I used to love those books when I was a kid. All all these things. I mean, Agatha Christie, you know, the, mostly her Poirot novels, but it's it's just. I am sitting here looking at a bookcase now, and I have um, my my grandmother who is deceased. She used to love. Uh, reading romance novels and I have a bunch of hers and I know that I've read some of them and you know I look at that and I think well I doubt that I've been influenced by any of those but I, I mean I read them so they had to have had some sort of impact on on me as a writer and with respect to the sort of horror that I write I, I don't know I don't know how to quantify it I write what I write I write the stories are I like writing stories that have heart. I write um, 
I if I can make someone cry, that's I, that's perfectly fine with me. You know, I've oh, you got that I, it's down not, to science. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's not necessarily, you know, I'm not if I make someone if I creep somebody out, that's great, but I would I don't know. I there's there's an emotional, you know, I love I love fiction that makes that makes you feel. Um, I think that that Stephen King is pretty much a master at characterization and and making making his characters feel real and making the deaths hurt. And so I learned that lesson well. I like that. I you know maybe maybe I don't always achieve it, but it, that's what that's what I try for. Yeah, I I think you do a great job with that. And, you know, when you uh, were saying about like how you read widely, like that's one of the big things that a lot of writers, you know, will pass on to, you know, other people maybe who are wanting to get involved with writing. And like you said, I think that helps because, you know, even if you don't write that particular genre, you know, like romance novels, for example, like that could influence how you write specific relationships with the characters within your own work and um as far as uh encyclopedia brown i don't know if you ever read these but it kind of it made me think of one um that i used to like that isn't necessarily genre i guess maybe mystery but the boxcar children yes yes oh my gosh i remember that (laughs) yeah i i totally forgot all about that until you mentioned it but yeah as far as your own work there's definitely a couple stories that I know really got to me, um, I, and both of them were in Cry Your Way Home. And uh, the one was The Floating Girls, a documentary, which I think is probably one of, I'd say, top 10 favorite short stories. And then the other is On the Other Side of the Door, Everything Changes, which I believe was also in Gutted. Yes, it was. Yes. So if I told you that I was currently working on something called the floating girls a novel would 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 you be pleased to hear that oh yeah absolutely <laughs> I, I think i saw that on twitter yeah, yes hell, hell yes picks up uh, six years after the short story uh, i six years seven years it, i guess it will depend when when it's finished and and you know that sort of but yeah so safe to say about six years after the the short story the the novel picks up the um the first line in the novel which i feel i feel comfortable saying because it could change it may not is the line it happened again and that's that's all i can say even though i have the entire novel um outlined and plotted but uh yeah yeah, that's that's an interesting hook though (laughs) yeah yeah it um you know like i think hooks like that's one of the like hardest things I would say. I'm not, I'm a fairly novice writer, but it seems like the hardest part to do is to like get that first sentence. And that's a great one. Cause you know, it's short and to the point, but you're like, it makes you want to read more about it. And um, the one thing that I liked about that story and I hope translates into the novel and it also kind of plays out through some of your other books. Like I think paper tigers had a little bit of that. And then um, the dead girls club is, it kind of has a different format. It's not necessarily, you know, quote unquote traditional, like with uh, 
the Dead Girls Club, you kind of have the interweaving timelines. And then with the Floating Girls, it's kind of written out in an epistolary format, like with transcripts and stuff like that. And I was just curious, is that stuff that you like to put in your work a lot or is it just every so often? Um, You know, honestly, I don't. When I sat down to write The Floating Girls, the documentary, I just I didn't know that it was going to come out in the format that it did. Um, it was very, very, very organic. I, I suppose I don't I don't really sit and analyze how a story should be written. I usually just sit and write it. Um, the outline that I have for the novel is 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 maybe how about that i don't i don't want to give anything away because i have i have a nine thousand word outline slash synopsis i have character sheets with you know it's going to have several points of view it's um but i also have you know ideas of hey do this do this and really until i get into the meat of it until until i'm you know, say eighty thousand words in, or ninety thousand, or a hundred thousand, or however however many words it takes to write that that f- to finish the first draft. I won't really know, um, you know, if there will be extra interesting things, but I would suspect there will be, because it it seems like to not do that when the short story featured it so heaven so heavily, it would be. I don't know. I feel like I'd be doing the story a disservice if I didn't at least have some of that. But I, I suppose that, you know, with writing short short fiction, playing around with, with format and style, it's it's fun. It's, you know, and it, it it's not much of a risk if you spend a couple of days trying to work on this story with an odd format and it doesn't work. It's OK. You haven't devoted a year to the project um so it's fun to take risks it's fun to try try different formats and see what works sometimes they do sometimes they don't (laughs) so do you uh find uh, speaking of short stories versus novels um which format are you more comfortable with do you like playing swimming in both pools or i do i do Um, i like i have not written a short story in several months. Um, I have like played around with a few vignettes and things like that because I've been very focused on the novel. And then, um, you know, my husband and I bought a house. And so there's been a lot of other stuff going on. Um, so I actually, I need to sit down and kind of crack the knuckles and, and create something. But I'm also, um, like I said, I've, I'm getting ready to really dive headfirst into the next novel. Um, so I, I'd like, I like them both. I don't, I would not want to have to choose between one or the other because that, that wouldn't be any fun. I love, I love what I get to do with short fiction, but I also love writing in in the longer length because you you get to more spend more time with with a character and and you get to tell a a bigger story so to say and 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, do you find one or the other more challenging? Um, novels, because of uh, just they're they're bigger, so you've got more. You know, you may have more characters. The plot is is bigger. It's going to be more intricate. I would say that that a novel it it's much harder to write, but writing a short story isn't easy either. So <laughs> a different a different sort of challenge, but a novel is a is a bigger commitment as far as time and you know, plotting and and all of that. It does it requires more brain space. And yeah. a little a little bit bigger of a risk too in that way that you're going to spend hours and hours and hours of time and days of time and um that's all just uh, at the at, at the onset, that's just for your own edification. You don't even know if anybody's going to read it. Yes, but you know what? It, that's so. if no one ever does, it's okay because no no words are wasted. Like you, it takes a lot of words to write before you can write the, the good words. Like I mean, it, I've I have so many short stories that. We're terrible that we're never sent out into the world or we're sent out a few times and, you know, received a few rejections and they're in they're in the folder of stories that will will never leave that folder. They're they're not for anything. There are stories that are half finished. There are story concepts there. You know, I have some novels that will will never there never be anything other than the ugly first draft that they are. Um, but they're not. The time wasn't wasted, even with the even with the the novels. It's it's all it's all you know practice for the word machine. Oh yeah, if you would in order to be good at what you do, you have to suck at it first. Yes. Yeah, and I I think that's a pretty good point, and uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners will be inspired by that because I think like the big hurdle for maybe writers who are just starting out. Because, like, even myself as a reader, until I really got involved in, like, the book reviewing community and the writing community, is I only ever saw, you know, the finished version of something. So, like, even though in my head I knew it wasn't that way, all I saw was that. And I'd be like, man, I'm like, you know, I could never do something like that because, you know, look how great this is. And I think a lot of people are intimidated by the fact that they feel like maybe they have to have everything perfect right from the start. Yeah, there's, you know, I I am for the first time I'm writing a novel from an outline. And so I'm hoping that makes the first draft maybe a little more cohesive because most of the time I, I've just been an, an absolute pantser and I start writing and I finish writing and it you know, first drafts can meander this way and that way and lots of extra rubbish and lots of missing pieces. But, um, I mean, yes, I think it is hard when you're starting out and you see the finished product and you don't understand how much goes into that finished product and that that's not how it started. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, the more... I, like that's why I think it's good when you know authors talk about that stuff because I feel like that's pretty much a lot of people's perception is that you know like what they have in their hands is pretty much how it started you know maybe 
you know, a couple grammatical things here and there, but I'm sure a lot of people think by and large, you know, this is pretty much how it started. <laughs> so I think, I think that'd be inspiring. Cause I know that like listening to writers talk about that, like that inspired me because I was always like, you know, there's no way I could ever do something like this because I'm like, this is, you know, so amazing. Like, I don't know why I would even start it, but then like hearing about it and learning that, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and a process that kind of, that kind of takes the anxiety away from it a little bit. Well, and you know, writing is, if, if you're serious about, about writing, you're, you're always learning, always, always trying to get better. There, there's never a point where you stop and say, okay, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool right here. (laughs) Yeah. And you can kind of see that if you like, I do a lot of beta reading and I know Rich does too. And, um, when you see something in its first iteration before it hits an editor or a publisher, um, and then you see it in its finished iteration, you can literally see most authors learning as they go. Because what comes out at the end is generally a totally different product than what you first held in your hands. Yes. Yes. It, it's, I mean, it, again, you're, when you're first, if you just take a short story, you have this, this concept in your head, you have to kind of write it out to see to 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 figure it out to untangle you know the threads now sure sometimes you get lucky and you write a story and it comes out and you finish it and very little gets edited but that's that's few and far between and generally you've you've written a lot before that point so it's not i i don't think that anybody could just sit down and say i'm going to write a short story and write something fabulous and brilliant um from the get-go and and you know in one draft now there are always exceptions to the rules so there is probably someone out there who has done that and you know hey kudos to them and you know they probably did tons and tons of of reading and and you know maybe school papers and stuff so it wasn't the thing is it's it's they're there will be a background of of some sort of of study it because it to be a good to be a good writer to tell a good story you have you have to write a lot and a lot of it won't be good but but that's really the i mean the issue with any uh type of because writing is really a craft i mean it's an art but it's also it's a craft in that there's um a lot more that goes into it than just sitting down and creating Yes. Um, there are a lot of pieces that you have to put together, and sometimes you're going to break pieces and have to find a different piece that fits, and it's just the nature of the beast, I would think. Yes, and sometimes a lot of writing is done not writing. It's a lot of, you know, just uh, reading and, and thinking, and, you know, it's not just sitting down in front of you know the the monitor with the keyboard yeah i wish <laughs> <laughs> and uh i was kind of curious uh damien because i know you said uh with your the novel you're working on now you said this is the first time you 
like kind of did like a formal outline. And I was just curious because I know that there's the whole pants or an outline approach. Was there anything that made you want to try doing like a more formal outline this time around? Yes. Working with um, Chelsea at Crooked Lane Books, we we took the one of the timelines and we made some pretty significant alterations. And the only way – basically, I was keeping a running outline as I was writing. So when I finished, I had this outline of what had happened in each chapter. So when we decided to revamp the one of the timelines, it because I had that outline, it made it a lot easier because we could work on the outline. Instead of me taking apart the manuscript, we took apart this outline – and and went back and forth and back and forth and then I did the writing and so it just struck something in me that I was thinking this is kind of I now I understand why people outline and then because I was taking something you know a short story and saying okay well how could I expand this where could I go from this story and I sat down and I started telling myself the story you know, I wrote like a one-page synopsis, and then I expanded it to two pages, and then I started adding like bullet points, but not not in a traditional outline sense. More of bullet points in a, you know, it's kind of bullet points talking about the story arc and okay so this happens and then this happens and what does this character want and you know where are they going and and building upon that and I ended up like I said with this 9,000 word that's like an outline slash synopsis of all of the characters all of the story arcs how they intertwine where they end up um some major you know the the major plot points um so it's if i handed it to someone it they would they could they could see what was what's in my head but it's not the outline per se of chapter one this is what happens chapter two this is what happens it's more this is character you know this is tracy and this is this is the story arc, and this is, you know, I have three paragraphs of her story arc through the whole, the whole novel, and then this is another character, and you know, say she's got, and then there are scenes. Okay, so now these two characters, you know, are are communicating. So th- it, it's a bunch of different story arcs with this larger, overarching arc. <laughs> Now, see, that's that's an interesting way to do it, because I always I hate outlining with a passion. Anytime I sit down to write something, I've tried and tried and tried. But that's an interesting approach because I've always approached it from a structural point of view, um, and approaching it from the point of just the story arcs like that makes a lot more sense to me. And it also sounds like a hell of a lot more fun. Uh, yes, because yes, because there are times I was asking myself questions. I was like, okay, well, this character. I'm like, so because I had, I had, I had a couple characters that I that I kicked out of the the synopsis basically. That I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a reason for this character. Um, they, they're not, there's nothing compelling enough about them, and they're not, 
they're not needed. And, you know, I bump them to the end of the document with, you know, notes that, hey, maybe maybe when I'm halfway through, I'll realize, oh, this character was needed. So I'm going to need to go back. But, you know, again, it's it's pretty much I've just been telling myself the story and telling myself all the little bits and pieces with quick little sentences and quick descriptions and 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 ideas and then going back and fleshing it out when I say you know saying well maybe this character could do this or go there and then realizing as I keep writing no they they need they need to go here and they need to do that and then going back and changing it um and again, I'm, I mean, I'm just telling myself the story and then I reached the end and I was like, okay, I just told him, I just wrote this whole, I just told myself the entire story. And now I can go and add some more flesh and, you know, I've started, I started the, the writing itself and it's, it's very different because I feel like I, I know these characters a little bit better than if I had just started with the blank page. But I, I owe that to Chelsea at Crooked Lane Books because without without working with her on the outline for the Dead Girls Club, even though, you know, initially it came, I wrote it as, so I'd write a chapter and I would write what happened in the chapter because I knew there was going to be, you know, the mystery and and I needed to keep everything straight as to what was happening when plus i wanted some you know column responses between the 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 past chapters and the present chapters so keeping all of that track was important to me as i was going on but but it really once chelsea and i were working with the outline i was like this this is i wonder if i could write a novel like this way instead of just going, you know, flying by the seat of my pants. And then when I started, when I wrote The Floating Girls documentary, I always kind of had it in the back of my mind that it would be very neat to try and turn it into a novel. And I never knew how. And when something clicked and I was like, bingo, that's how. I said, well, wait, if I, if I know this. And then I could kind of see more of the story playing out in my head. So, yeah. And it may have been because this happened, the the initial idea had happened um, after Chelsea and I had been working on the outline for a while. So I think it was just you know my brain saying, "Hey, this is a, this is a really neat method. Let's try it." It's interesting too because I mean one one of the things you said, and my memory's not good enough to recall it verbatim, but it makes a lot more sense. To, that you can it's a lot easier to say you cut that uh exemplary character that you mentioned that doesn't really serve a purpose and doesn't really have the impact or whatever um and then later on you find that oh i need that character back in um he was necessary or she was necessary and it would be a lot easier to go back in and add that character back in and you're running outline than it would be in the book that you've already written three quarters of yes because when you even a small character has a lot of pieces to it yes so that wasn't a question really that was just so much me kind of in awe of that idea (laughs) well you know we'll we'll see if it's successful i mean so far 
it's uh, the my very my very lengthy synopsis slash outline or outline slash synopsis has been really interesting and i've gone back and i've added things you know to it as to say hey let's you know what about adding this in and and I've reached the point now where I'm leaving myself a lot of questions because these are things that I don't know yet and I won't know until I start, you know, until I until I reach that point in in the first draft. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. It it could it could go. I'm hoping it will make for a a smoother first draft. I mean, it certainly won't be perfect because first drafts never are, but maybe it will be a little more cohesive than my usual first drafts. Yeah, and one thing that's interesting is how you said you would kind of leave parts of like in the outlining process so that when you're actually writing it, you know, then you could figure that out. Because I heard another writer mention something about the outline process on a, another podcast uh, called The Bastard Title with uh, Angel Louise Cologne. And um, they said that they kind of didn't really like the outlines because it felt like they were telling themselves the story already and they like knew it was happening but i think the way that you described it would be more beneficial because then you have that structure that you can go back to but you're not like fully taking out all of the mystery like when you would sit down and write the draft yeah no there's i mean it's it's still there's there's a lot of the story but there's also a lot that's that's missing um Although, I mean, I have written some of that, the synopsis is dialogue because things that I think the characters would be saying to each other. But again, I mean, they may not. I may reach that point and they may say completely different things. Um, I don't know. Like I said, we'll we'll see if it's successful or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know Shane and myself are both excited about seeing how that plays out, you know, when the book comes out but also the book itself and um the one thing um that i wanted to touch base with with you on is the dead girls club your new novel um shane and i both read it and we really loved it and you know we already kind of talked about the intertwining timelines and stuff like that but uh, there's a lot of things that i liked about it but the one thing that really stuck out to me was the red lady (laughs) the the background for that was terrifying um and especially that the way you know the girls in the novel like as you start to learn about the red lady the fact because i think if i remember correctly they were probably around 12 yeah they're all they're 12 yeah and some of the stuff that was coming out about the red lady i was like wow because there's a lot of ambiguity there with her, but I'm like, wow, you know, if the red lady is not real, like how the hell did they like, you know, come up with this intricate history? And I was just kind of curious, you know, without spoiling maybe whether the red lady is real or not, I kind of saw bits and pieces of what I thought the red lady kind of represented. Like there was kind of aspects of like the, bloody mary legend and a couple other legends that i don't want to mention because it might inform too much on the plot but Mm -hmm. i was just curious you know what kind of inspired the red lady um it you know it was funny when i was 
how I wrote the Dead Girls Club, I wrote the first scene where Heather is an adult and receives the necklace in the mail. And the scene ends with, uh, she was my best friend and I killed her. And this is not giving away a plot point. This is in the first scene. This is in the cover copy. This is not, the, the going into the novel, this is, this. it's not a question. It's not the mystery. Heather admits that she killed Becca when she was when they were 12 that is that is what that is what her memory tells her happened how about that so when I started then I went back and I started writing the 1991 time frame when they were 12 because I wanted to know what happened because here I have this character telling me well I killed her I wanted to know what happened and I had this I did just as I was writing that I you know these the the girls were were sitting and they were chanting and and it was these four girls in this dark basement with candlelight and the initial it was it, it was the chant it was red lady red lady show us your face and then I started writing out her story and a, f- a few little things changed um it actually it her initial story I, I toned it down a little bit initially it was it was actually it was a little worse um and I could just remember being 12 and like this kind of story this is things that we would have talked about I mean morbid you know at 12 you are you like scary things you like morbid things and gross things and um and I'm sure that every urban legend that I've ever heard about or read about or you know shared stories about when i was a kid it it all played into into her creation um but for me i can say for her as a character she started to spin into being when the the dead girls club members started chanting red lady red lady show us your face and in one way it was almost to me as the author of this story, okay, red lady, red lady, show me your face. Tell me your story so that so that I know it. And then it, it came, you know, it came spilling out of Becca's mouth. And, and there were – I had more stories originally. In the first draft, there were, there were several more. Um, so I have, I have a, a pretty good grasp on – on the red lady, but I, and I just think she just she's sort of the an, an amalgamation of of every urban legend that I've come across that I'm familiar with. Just sort of, you know, and all of that, and then and then I made you know hopefully something new from those. Yeah, I, I think you did a great job with that because, like you said, I kind of could see a couple urban legends that, you know, I was familiar with and I pulled out of them. But I think it was very unique and I liked her kind of as a character in there because of it kind of helps lend to, you know, the tone of the novel. Like there's so many different things going on and it, you know, it is very dark. And, <laughs> And um, I just liked her presence in there because it kind of informs on 
like I said, the tones of the novel, like kind of this paranoia that spins out of it. And, you know, it kind of keeps the reader guessing. And like I put, cause you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Like I know a lot of people say, you know, like it's a thriller or it's this or that, but <laughs> I think there's a lot of very heavy horror elements in uh, the dead girls club. And I feel, and not necessarily just because of the red lady, but I feel like she added a lot of like, I think I described it when I reviewed the book as like nightmare fuel because <laughs> some of it was just, it was scary. <laughs> and, and honestly it's dialed back. Uh, yeah. It was, it was it, in an earlier draft. The, uh, that initial story, I was like, yeah, no, I, I, I need to, I need to perhaps pull the, pull this back just a little. <laughs> I'm not well, going to say what it was. I can't imagine if that's a down <laughs> version. You know, and as far as genre, I I don't know. I mean, it's it, I think it's sort of part mystery, part supernatural horror, part coming of age, part suspense. It's it's a it's a strange little book that's got little bits and pieces of of different genres kind of all mashed together in something, you know, Hopefully that's that's a little more mainstream and and it has a it has certainly has a wider release than anything else that I've written and I just I hope it's horror enough for the horror fans and suspense enough for the suspense fans but I suppose we'll see what happens it's as of this recording it comes out um, it's this is Sunday. It comes out in two days. Yes, in two days, which seems so strange and so surreal. And there's been so much going on with um, with moving house and closing up the the old house and and things like that, that that it hit me a few days ago that (laughs) that it was next week that it was coming out. Yeah. So um, just a little aside. Number one, congratulations on your house. Thank you. I saw, I saw your very happy selfie that was the last one in your old house over on Instagram earlier. Uh, yes, we and we went back and you know the, today was the was the last the last time you know shampooed all the carpets yesterday and today was going in and running the vacuum over the rug one more time and saying okay, all right, closing the door, locking it up. <laughs> right on. That's a bit. That's a big step. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing was just to our listeners in general, what Damien just said about that being out in two days. What that means is that if you're listening to this podcast, you can have this book, too, because <laughs> it is available now <laughs> in hardcover and ebook. You can go to Barnes and Noble and go in in the the W section in fiction and you should see it. Um, it's it's. If you're if you've not seen any pictures online, I won the lottery in cover art because it's stunning. It the is cover gorgeous. art is yeah. amazing and eye catching. Um, there are flowers on it, very suggestive of a funeral because there are also flies, which um, I adore. And yeah, like I said, I you know sometimes you win the the lottery with with book covers and i definitely did i love yeah. how subtle the i love how subtle the the flies actually are too because mm-hmm. you you kind of almost you almost have to look at for them if they didn't have that bright splash of red you might not even notice them there yes well what's interesting is after i got my author copies 
I looked at them up, down, left, and right, and and just was just in awe. It just, you know, there's something about a hardcover. It was a week later when I realized there's a fly on the spine. <laughs> And how perfect, just, I, I don't, I just, I, it was funny, I was looking at it on the shelf, because I had, I had put them on the shelf, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's a fly, on the spine, in between my name and the, and the name of the novel, I was like, that is brilliant, so yeah. brilliant, I don't know whose decision that was, at, you know, I know who, I know who did the, the, cover design her name is melanie sun and i assume she did the whole thing i'm not sure because there's uh the jacket design was done by um a company called scribe inc so i'm i would imagine that melanie sun is probably the one who put you know came up with with all of the 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 art and and the layout and stuff. Um, so yeah, if the fly was her idea on the spine. It just it's my I, I think it's my favorite part. <laughs> my favorite part of the cover. I w- I bet it would be. I I haven't seen that because I've got we have arcs and the spine is plain on those. Mm-hmm. But I will definitely find a picture and post it on the on the website when we post this uh, page for this podcast. Okay. Well, it, I want, mainly because I want to see it, and when people hear this, they're going to want to see it too. So, and and it, I don't want to. Well, I can ruin things for them, but I've already named the little <laughs> fly on the spine. His name is Gus. <laughs> <laughs> they got to have a name, right? It's well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Not the ones on the front cover. I don't. I don't know their names. Um, but the one on the spine. Yeah, his name is Gus. <laughs> so. Um, and kind of like speak the cover, like the cover has a lot going on, um, a lot of color, a lot of shape, a lot of darkness and contrast. And um, the book itself really is kind of like that, too. It's uh, riddled with, especially thematically, it's riddled with little little bits and pieces of different themes going on, um, like, you know, it, Everybody has a secret in their past, mm-hmm. you know, that one secret that they haven't told anybody but themselves kind of thing, you know, um, and then there's also the guilt and the paranoia, the ambiguity, um, symbolism of the red lady. You've got a lot going on in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I assume that most of those things I just mentioned were by design. Um. Okay, so a lot of things happened organically, like the story, the you know, the the red lady, um, the the central mystery. Once I had, once I like the past. Okay, so I wrote the novel. I wrote the opening scene in the present time, and then I went back and I wrote the past, the entire past story, because I needed to know what happened, and then I threaded the present story around it um here is a little secret the finished product is not even close to the first draft with respect to the 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 answer to the whodunit (laughs) that that went through a, a few a few changes. Um, I actually adore the way that it ended up, and oddly enough, 
a lot of the clues were there in the first draft. It was almost like I think I had to tell myself that part of the story wrong so that I could figure out how to tell it right. That That's that was, pretty uh, interesting. Yeah, that, uh, that reveal really, it's kind of like I'm really good at figuring out a mystery usually. And yeah. this, this novel really fucked my brain in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, um, there are clues. It's I, one of the authors that I mentioned is my influence, like Agatha Christie. I love her novels. If you've ever read an Agatha Christie book and figured it out, uh, kudos to you, because for the most part, I, I don't think I've ever figured out one of her novels the first time. I've had maybe a slight inkling, and I would say nine times out of ten, I was wrong. Um, so there there are clues. They are, you know, I think they're buried pretty well. I, I, I will say. I, there's, I don't think that anyone could... Do, you know, say, okay, that is that is definitely a clue maybe in their first reading. I mean, then then again, I don't know. A lot of mystery readers are really savvy. You know, people that like suspense novels, if, if they read a lot in, in those genres, they might. But I also, I, I don't think I included them in any way that said, okay, hey, clue here, clue here. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, yeah, I'd be impressed if somebody finished figured out that mystery in advance i would really be impressed yeah but, same but here. you know without without giving anything away though thematically it fits and that's all i'm going to say one of one of the the themes i mean it it you, there are several themes in the book and i really can't specifically discuss any of them because then it, it, it may let's you know have someone um, give them more of a clue and and I think that perhaps reading it knowing nothing thematically you know maybe maybe after its release and it's been out for for a few months then then I can talk about some of the themes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's funny because, like Shane said, we normally we normally figure stuff out fairly soon. And when I first read it, I I definitely did not figure it out at all. I don't think at any point reading it that I, you know, think that I had it nailed down. And that's why I kind of like that opening line too, because. Like you said, it's not even a spoiler that, you know, Heather killed Becca. And that right there, I was like, okay. And then, you know, that real that was such a great opener, I feel, because, you know, you feel like, oh, okay, well, I already know kind of the end result, but the journey to get there was what made it so riveting to me. Yeah, and speaking of uh, masterful hooks, that was one right there, because how, how do you not read to find out what the yeah. hell that's all about? <laughs> um, this is true. You know, it it honestly, and when I first wrote that scene, I that's why I went back and wrote the past, the past scene. I needed to know what happened. I was like, okay, this character just told me 
they killed their best friend when they were 12. She was a child. They were both children. I was like, I have, I have to know. I have to know how did this play out? How did this happen? Was, you know, and, um, yeah, I, and, and I, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to give anything away because, you know, reveal too much and somebody will say, wait, yeah. Oh, I, know. I was going to read that. I keep struggling to find, try to figure out how to ask you certain things without getting <laughs> yeah. the hell out of it. Like yeah, there, like when I was thinking about about the thematic, you know, some thematic elements, I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't talk about that one. Oh, yeah, I can't talk about that one either because it 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 would be, it it could be a hint, and I would know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's that's yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, every now and then we'll drop a spoiler, but uh, if we do, we always say something in advance, warn people, you know, hey, stop listening for thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. But this one, you could you could drop a spoiler every time you uttered a half a sentence, <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> and but uh, I mean, it's kind of kind of, but not a spoiler. One of those. Uh, elements running through it um is uh the uh semi and maybe not even semi um feminist approach there's mm-hmm. some there are some things in there that it's an i'll just say it's an education if you're a guy who's willing to listen <laughs> you know yeah. I, yeah I try you know i i i put a, a few things i tried not to not to go too overboard but you know, some of the when Heather is an adult, some of the the things that you know when she meets her friends for for dinner that they talk about. I mean, these are things that women that I know we talk about. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and as men, we we like to think you know because we're men and we know everything. We like to think that we know what that experience must be like to some degree. But then when you hear about it, really hear about it from someone who's being extremely candid you realize you don't know jack shit or you would feel terrified for most women you know you know well it's interesting the um you know being a woman in the world we move through through a, a very different space in very different ways and i think that that most men don't realize it and you know and and perhaps or didn't for a long time and now are starting to because you know women were kind of demanding it in in one way kind of demanding changed and 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 forcing you know bring bringing some really these ugly truths out into the light and saying this is what it's like like you know for a man you can go out for a run without without a thought you put on your running clothes you lace up your shoes and you go for a run for a woman it's okay well where am i going to run where's you know where's the route is it is this safe is it well lit you know is am i going to go in the morning am i going to go in in the i mean there's yeah the life is life for a woman is very very different than obvious i mean than life for a man but i think for a very long time men just sort of assumed that their their way was was just 
the de facto standard, and that's still to, to some extent. Um, I've written a couple blog posts ab- about it um, or, or posts for various sites where the default for a very long time, it, it, and even now, it, it's mail. So even crash test dummies that they use in, with cars are the size and shape of men. So that seatbelt that's holding me in my seat has been tested on a dummy the equivalent of my six-foot husband. I was going to say it's designed for your husband, not for you. Not me. So how do I know that it's really going to be good, that it's going to save me? So. Yeah. And same with airbags and things like that. They're all designed on those same masculine dummies. Yes. Um, Which is, God, sorry, I, I lose my train of thought a lot. Oh, I do all the time. <laughs> um, I'm a total space case, and I don't even try to cover it up anymore because I'm too stupid to make it sound intelligent. <laughs> but uh, kind of going off of Shane's Shane's point, too, is um, – and maybe I just missed them, but it seems like especially with like the horror jo- genre, like a big thing is like coming-of-age stories, and like you always hear certain ones – mentioned and by and large it's about like either a younger male character or a group of younger male friends so i thought it was cool that your novel it was a coming of age story you know for female readers and it doesn't seem like there's very many at least in like the horror genre and i know this isn't necessarily just a horror book but i thought that that was that it was cool to kind of take that perspective and, you know, have it focus on, you know, a female's perspective. Cause most of the time you always hear about, you know, like boys life or like stand by me, which are all great, but they're mostly male centric. Yes. And, and the dynamic between um, young boys and young girls is very, very different. It's very different. And, you know, there are plenty of, coming of age stories you know horror coming of age stories the focus on boys in fact if you would if you were to go on facebook or twitter right now and say hey recommend me some coming of age stories i would be shocked if there if you were given any recommendation that had to do with um with girls no every damn one of them except every damn one of them would be man-centric or boy-centric um you know, I think the only one I can think of that even has a girl involved in it is it. Right, but it's not her story. No, I mean, it's, it's not. It's yeah. it's not. I mean, especially like later with the ending, it's definitely not girl centric. It's still. It's it. Um, yeah, it only it has a girl, but that's it. Yes, she's the sidekick. It's not. It's not a coming of age story about a girl though. So yes, it. And and that that certainly did inform when I was writing it, you know, part of it, thinking, hey, that that it's that girls come of age as well. So. And it's it's refreshing and and enlightening both to to actually read that, especially from a woman's point of view. Um. Because, like I said earlier, you think you you think as a man that you know what the hell the experience is like, but you don't really, because it's like it's both a lot like what you would read in a coming of age story with 
that was boy centric, but it's there are there are key differences and they're not subtle ones, and you never get to see that in any that I can think of. What's What's really neat is that um, you know when when the novel went up on NetGalley, so people could you know early reviewers could get it and. You know, I, reviews are kind of funny. You know, I I like sometimes I like to read them and sometimes I don't because because this is my first mainstream release. I I was reading them in the beginning. Um, I haven't in quite a while, but I noticed that that a few in the beginning said that reminded them of their childhood and you know their Bloody Mary in the mirror and you know having seances and things like that and. And that that made me feel good to to because I know there aren't especially in horror there aren't many books that deal with girls growing up and the things that girls of a certain age tend to be drawn to the darkness the seances the you know witchcraft things things like that so that was pretty neat and then I reached a point where I was like okay no I'm you know the reviews are never for an author they're always for other for other readers and you know it's just that again that that initial i just wanted to see what the early reviewers would say because because this is my first you know mainstream release but that that's one thing that i noticed and i really um i just i i liked it i liked seeing that that it brought to mind to a lot of the women who were reading it, it 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 called to their childhood you know their childhood memories so yeah yeah it did um i can't say for me because i'm not a girl but um i grew up with six sisters and my mother and no men in the pictures so i did you know get to witness a lot of that right so girls um, talking about boobs and periods and things wouldn't have you know wasn't shocking and 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 completely oh my god <laughs> to you yeah it doesn't doesn't phase me at all you know um, I was go I was going to the store for those things for my mom when I was ten years old. You know. <laughs> so. Well, you know, kudos to you because, my God, why is why is this even something so, like, the, it's like it's this dirty little secret. I mean, come on, we're talking about biology of half the population. <laughs> um, really, and there are there are things that uh, the human body does naturally that are much more. Horrifying to me than that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, you know, when I wrote the book initially, I was like, okay, I'm going to have these girls, and they're going to talk about things like boobs and periods, and they are not going to talk about boys, and they don't. I think I think they mention uh, a, a boy's name, maybe. I, I don't remember. Maybe that I don't even know if that survived to the to the final draft at this point, but they never. They never talked about boys in the way that you find in a lot of, you know, movies or shows where that's the only thing that the girls are talking about. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, which which yeah. is a total bullshit stereotype. Yes. Um, and whether you're a woman or a man, you grew up with people of the other um, gender, and you. Uh, you know for a fact that that's a bullshit stereotype yep. if you pay, if you paid any attention. Yes, yeah, so at, at twelve I was you know 
more interested in talking about serial killers and reading Stephen King and you know light as a feather stiff as a board you know that sort of thing all of the things that that made it into the novel because that's what those were parts of my childhood and not just mine which is which you know coming to realize from reading those early reviews was was cool it's neat to see yeah yeah i had i i really enjoyed reading it and you know like i said seeing a different perspective because especially after a while like i said you know stand by me and stuff like that yeah it's great but after a while it gets kind of boring like how many you know male coming of age stories do you really need to read and hopefully with like the dead girls club and i'm sure maybe there are some out there and if you know of any we would appreciate the recommendation but i hope it's something that we can see more of in horror because it's always great to get different perspectives and especially with something like coming of age which you know is one of my favorite subgenres. well you know okay i know that the the characters are a little bit older but the rust maidens by gwendolyn keast i've been meaning to read that one yeah so you know it, it Again, I mean, it's it, yeah. The the characters are a little older, but it does, but it takes place. I in, in fact, okay, it's 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 been a while, but I'm pretty sure that it takes that it does that it flips back back and forth between then and now. Um, yeah, that sounds awesome because I I love books that do that too, kind of like the intertwining things and i've heard nothing but great things about that book so i'm definitely going to check it out i've been excited to read it yeah she's such a she's a she's a wonderful writer i've only read her short stuff so far but yeah she's she is fantastic and then um christy demeester has has a novel that um that is very much that that is sort of like part coming of age i don't know it's fantastic and you know, I know that that she's. I, I know she has an agent, and I don't. You know, hopefully, hopefully there'll be amazing news. You know, it'll, it'll about that one. You know, because that I would love for for that to to be on bookstore shelves because I I beta read it and it's really it's dark and disturbing and it's sort of it like I said it's like part coming of age and yeah it's just fantastic yeah that that sounds awesome and something that Shane and I definitely would be into so yeah hopefully something soon and that kind of brings me right into something else I kind of wanted to ask you about um which is kind of how you got involved with Crooked Lane books. And, you know, I've read a lot of your work in the past, and I know that you've worked with, like, smaller publishers, which, you know, we have a big love for, you know, the independent publishers. But it's always kind of cool for us to see, you know, some of our authors that have done a lot of independent stuff, like, get a chance to work with like a bigger publisher and like have their books in stores. So I was kind of curious, you know, kind of how you got to work with them and like, what was the experience like when you, you know, got that first box of like hard covers? Um, well, my agent 
had, you know, she came up with a list of where where she was going to pitch the novel. And she, you know, went, it was the big five and smaller presses. It would, you know, or, or, or not smaller, but, um, but a variety, different, different sized houses and imprints and things. And when Chelsea and I spoke on the phone, we, she and I, we just clicked and the novel went to auction, which is, not as exciting as it sounds. It's actually okay. Everybody can, you know, this is this is the day that is happening. Put in your bid and and, but I just I really clicked with Chelsea on the phone. So it, it was sort of it was kind of a no brainer that that it, to you know to to go with to go with Crooked Lane. Um, I love I've loved working with them. The marketing department has been fantastic. Chelsea was an, an amazing editor. Um, really, really was. And so, yeah, I have, a, you know, my agent to thank for that. Um, you know, um, there's a reason, there's a reason why a, a lot of authors love agents because they, they do all, they do all that sort of legwork. They do the research. They know who, you know, who would be a good fit. Um, so, yeah, yeah they, lit- they literally sell authors work for a living, so they have a little bit better a thumb on the pulse. Yes. But it also it's very it says a lot about the work that Crooked Lane's picked it up or Crooked Lane, because, I mean, they had they published some hellaciously good authors, you know, mm-hmm. um, you find yourself in great company there. But that just speaks to the quality of your own work. Thank you. They also took a risk because they're the up, you know, they're pretty much a mystery imprint. They do, you know, so I mean, with the Dead Girls Club having, you know, one foot firmly in the horror genre, I, you know, they've they've taken a big risk. So hopefully, you know, in a few days we'll we'll know if you know, a few days, few weeks. I mean, the early, you know. The, uh, there's a lot of, you know, positive buzz around it. Um, you know, there's negative reviews too. I mean, I don't think you can have the the positive without the negative, but but the the early buzz is very favorable for the novel and I hope that I hope that it's successful. I hope that people enjoy Heather and Becca's story. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it's up it's out of my hands at this point. It's out of anyone's hands except for the readers, the reading public at large. Um, yeah, I, and I hope that I'm right when I say I think that this book will be highly successful for you. Um, but you. I really, I really honestly think that it will. Um, and that's, you know, it's, uh, I, I always try not to gush because I can't imagine how uncomfortable that must make an author. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or at least it would me because I, I suck at taking any kind of compliment from anybody. But I read. Two books from Crooked Lane back to back. I read uh, Hank Early's Echoes of the Fall, um, and then your book. He is so good, isn't he? Oh, uncanny! Yeah, yeah. But so is so is the Dead Girls Club. You know, <laughs> that's that's why I say what I say about Crooked Lanes. They don't they don't publish any posers. Well, fingers fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Other people. You don't feel the way that you do, but thank you. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's what, you know, that's what we all want. I mean, we were, you know, write stories, send them out into the world and, and hope and hope hope they resonate with with readers. Hope they find their audience. And with this one, you know, this is like I said, this is my first more mainstream novel and it's got a, a wider distribution. So it's I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble on Tuesday um, and find it on the shelf and, you know. Offer to sign it, but first I just want to see it on the shelf. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be like so so shocked that I'm going to be kind of like numb and and not really feeling anything, or if I'm going to burst into tears, or if I'm going to you know get the giggles, which could very well happen. Just in disbelief. I'm the kind of person who uh, actually morbidly gets the giggles at funerals and things like that. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> isn't being a human interesting sometimes mm. i mean the body like okay for me i will cry at create like music there will be a song a piece of music someone's voice and i just find myself sobbing or there's you know something a, a beautiful piece of artwork it it's yeah it's amazing and i know there's the, you know i've read some articles on as to like why that happens but it's i don't know you know, the, the, the human animal is, is pretty interesting sometimes. Yeah. And if you hear definitely. a dog barking, that is that is my dog. I'm not sure if that comes through on the microphone or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked it up. So okay. Sounds like he's much bigger than my dogs are. <laughs> um, yes, he is about, I would say, probably about 65 pounds. He's he's old now. He's well. He's eleven, so he's older for a dog. So he's you know getting a little, getting a little old man thin these days. He used to be about seventy five pounds, but he's my my American pit bull terrier. Uh, good dogs, good yep. dogs. He is he is a doll, and then I have a small American Staffordshire Terrier. They're she's, also, yeah. She's both. They're both rescues. And uh, she's about 13, so they're both getting up there in, in, in age. Good for you, and good for you rescuing that breed of dog, Be, those breeds, because they were so hard. Um, I worked at an animal shelter for years as a kennel technician, um, and those those poor dogs got such a raw deal. Yep. Uh, I mean, to the, point that, to the point that I used to sneak them out the door, um, early in the morning and go have them neutered because the shelter had a no-kill policy for fixed dogs, whether they were neutered or spayed, you know. If mm-hmm. they were neutered or spayed, they would not put them down, so I would I would go in early before anybody else and kidnap dogs and take them to the vet so they couldn't do anything Aww. to them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, 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 really, it's really awful. It's really sad what, yeah. you know, they, they have such a bad rap, which and is awful. They're such it's, sweet dogs. They are, and the reason that they have a bad rap is because you've got a lot of people who are really shitty asshole owners. Excuse my English. And a pit bull, one of its, one of its strengths is that it will do whatever an owner wants to please that owner. It wants to make its its human happy. So, it you know. If it's mean, you made it that way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They are not inherently mean or vicious dogs. The only thing vicious about my dogs um, is the stench of their farts. 
<laughs> there is I'm nothing s- worse. Oh yeah, there's nothing worse than a dog fart. Uh, yeah, Kane can clear a room like tears in the eyes. Like holy, like oh my god, dog, what did you know? What just came out of your butt? <laughs> my skin, you know, like yeah. Yeah, it is From funny because to dog farts, and, it has, and I and it all, honestly doesn't have anything to do with the size of the dog either. In that case, like we have three oh. little ones, the biggest one is like twenty pounds, but they they can run you out of the house. Yeah, you know? and it's it's messed up because like I have two smaller dogs and a bigger one, and two like no matter the size of the dog, like sometimes there's not even any warning. You're just watching TV and. Oh, it's terrible. Yes, and then all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh my. <laughs> yeah. And they're like asleep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe their tail will twitch. Well, yeah. What's funnier is, you know, when he'll be asleep and then he'll look. All of a sudden he wakes up, kind of looks around like, what did you do? And like, that's not me. That, <laughs> that, that was so you, you son me. of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's that's too funny. <laughs> this 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 podcast goes to the strangest places sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, if someone is not well acquainted with dog farts, consider <laughs> yourself lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And with mine, with little dogs, I have two who have genetic defects that cause their breath to be just as horrendous as what comes out of their <laughs> Oh, you know what? Nothing says love like a dog who gives his owner a sweet kiss after he's been licking his butt. Right. <laughs> like, oh, dog ass. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's so funny. We, like, we always do show notes. We could be like, talked about the novel and inspirations and dog ass. <laughs> You know, I mean, I even have it in my bio that I have dogs. So if anyone has read my bio, it should not come as a complete surprise that I would talk about, you know, dog farts and dog ass breath. I remember that like the second podcast we did or the third one was with Hunter Shea. Oh, yeah, that was the second one. My wife went to take. (laughs) take our three rat dogs outside to go potty when they when they go out the door it's an event and mm-hmm. it's it sounds it sounds like a herd of dogs running out the door barking and and all of a sudden in the podcast you hear rah, 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 rah. and and hunter starts just losing his shit and going oh rich is wrestling with dogs now and <laughs> yeah they weren't even my dogs yeah <laughs> oh man but yeah that oh that that was funny but yeah like i said you know pretty informal over here oh the best i think the best podcasts are yeah so damien just out of curiosity do you when you write and this is a hard transition to make but when you write (laughs) Do you like to, like, do you listen to music or anything like that? Because I always find it interesting to ask that question because some writers say no because it might influence the words. But then others 
you know, they enjoy it. And two, it's kind of cool just to see, you know, what kind of stuff people listen to. Um, no, I like I like silence when I write. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm one of those writers. I like I like my own thoughts. I like to be able to hear my own thoughts. I also from time to time will just like say things out loud, like a turn of a phrase or or I'll, I'll reach a point where I ask myself a question. Um, and I can't do that with music playing. I, I can't be completely inside my head. Um, when there's music playing, I'm usually, you know, either either chair dancing or, you know, singing along. Um, so, yeah, for me, music is is just a distraction. Yeah, I can't listen to music and write either. It's uh, I can't not listen to the music. Yes, because I know that a lot of people will put it on and they're just like, it's just in the background. Yeah. How? Yeah. How, how can it just know? <laughs> No, my I, neighbor. I don't want to not listen to it. Yeah, when my neighbor's playing music, it's not in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Shane's in the middle of an ongoing war with his neighbor. Okay. <laughs> he has really bad taste in music. Really bad. Uh oh. What? What does he yeah. listen to? Um, it's just a lot of strange. Uh, he listens to a, a lot of um techno pop style stuff and um in addition to that he's a not very fine musician who likes to play his guitar and sing right outside my window <laughs> and it's it's like having a dog baying at the moon out there sometimes and... oh, so lot lot more heart than talent exactly exactly okay. it's you know unfortunately it's not the thought that counts in that case <laughs> <laughs> But he's yeah, a nice I, guy. Well, that's good. I mean, I mean, it it could be worse. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. That cracks me up every time. But uh, yeah, we don't want to keep you too much longer, Damien. So, is there anything you want to let uh, your readers know? Um, I know we kind of talked about the uh, novel length follow up to the uh, floating girl story, but. Do you have any other projects in the works? Um, no, that's that's the big one. I have, you know, a couple short stories that are that I'll be, you know, tackling shortly. Um, and I have a few others that should be releasing, but I don't have the dates for the anthologies. So it, most of my focus lately has just been on the Dead Girls Club release. So it's, it's yeah, that's it. Hopefully, uh, by the time that this airs, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with the Dead Girls Club. Hopefully, hope it does well. By then, everybody in the world will have a copy in their hands. <laughs> that, you know what? That would be wonderful. I just bought a, you know, I, my husband and I just bought a house. So, yeah. Got to pay the bills. <laughs> exactly. That would be wonderful. In fact, everyone, yes, please buy a copy. Buy a copy for your mom and your dad and, you know, yeah, if they your live in the same house, that's, yeah, your dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is Christmas coming up, so. Yeah. Well, you know, knock on wood, that that will help. That will um, help sales. Maybe people will, you know, buy them for their friends. Yeah, it's a good time of year for a release, I think. Um, and a good time of the month, too, because any, you get too late into December and all of a sudden nobody's paying attention to books. 
you know, as far as when they're looking for something to buy or, you know, doing psychotic Christmas shopping and things like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So, but uh, I have to say, um, out of all the guests we've had, you and John F. D. Taff have the greatest speaking voices. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's an observation I always make because mine sucks, and <laughs> I get really self-conscious. But it's like, God, I wish I sounded like him or her, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I never really gave much thought to it until I was working retail, and they needed, they were revamping their phone system, and they asked me if I would record the messages, and that was the first time I was, I stopped and said, oh. Because, of course, when I hear my own voice, I'm just like, oh, oh, no, no, it, I, I cringe. But because we don't hear ourselves as other people hear us, which is, you know, such a strange, such a strange sort of concept to think that, you know, you never really know what you sound like, just like you never really know what you yeah. look like. Yeah, I sound a lot cooler in my own head than I do when I actually <laughs> record my voice. I think you sound perfectly fine. <laughs> Fun fact is uh, Shane, he was the first one. We each have uh, kind of celebrity comparisons. Shane is famous for a lot of our listeners say he sounds like Mr. Rogers. And uh, another one of our listeners thinks I sound like Randall from Clerks. Um. I would say, no. Well, I you know I'm not. I, <laughs> no, but I would say there's some Christian Slater going on. I'll, I'll yeah, take that. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I would agree yeah. with that totally. Yeah, I'll take that for sure. <laughs> I was right after our first podcast. This guy I had never heard of before. Then Brennan LaFaro compared me to a profane Mister Rogers, and it. <laughs> Because I generally I try to I try sometimes to be somewhat polite, but I swear a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, yes. It's it, it's become associated with me. <laughs> yeah, we always tell guests there we're like you know you guys can say whatever you want because chances are it won't be as bad as the cursing that we just let fly out of our own mouths. <laughs> you know, it's funny I. Because I have I have grandchildren and I spend every Friday with the with the two and a half year old and then after school the the nine year old so I try to watch what I say and then when I'm not around them I'm just like well God damn shit hell <laughs> you know it comes it all comes out yes <laughs> so but I try you know I I can compartmentalize that because I'm like okay. Here I can say whatever, and here and there. I think there are sometimes when my brain is still like, okay, I'm on, a, I'm on a podcast. I'm talking about my novel. I need to be professional, you know. No four letter words. Well, shit. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I talk about dog ass. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's kind of no holds barred here, so that's fine. Um, I I struggle with that. I struggle with compartmentalizing it. Um, it's. I can to a degree, but I I'm the guy most likely to say fucking church. You know? Yeah, that that's my husband too. Yeah. Times, so there are times when I have to look at him and I'm like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. but you know he's prior military, so. Oh yeah, yeah. So they they teach them well. Yes, there's no filter. No. Uh, so anyway, well, 
I uh, had a great time here today. I'm glad you came on, Damien. Thank you. I did as well. Thank you very much for having me on. And we will definitely want to have you back again soon. So uh, especially um, anytime you release something new, if you want a place to sing its praises or to have somebody help you with that, just give us a holler. Will do. Well, actually, we'll probably give you a holler before you ever have a chance to. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Rich. I was just going to say, yeah, it's been our pleasure. And uh, I know Shane and I, we both really love the Dead Girls Club and we can't wait until it releases. And uh, we wish you all the best with it. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, man. Have a good night, Damien. Thank you. You as well. Take it easy. Okay. Take care. Bye. Where the fuck is the stop recording button, Rick? (laughs) 